Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Hello. And Dave. Hey there. And Tori. Hello, Internet. I'm like, did you forget her name for a moment? No, Maybe. just wanted to do a weird intro because Dave always does that, and I wanted to try once. Sometimes the best surprise is no surprise. Uh, so we start every week with good thing, and Craig, what's your good thing? Uh, I'll be quick. Uh, this week, I'm sure I did it before, but we're going to bring them back. It's a video game development studio called Zaktronics. This is the guy who made um, whatever Minecraft was before Minecraft. And Infiniminer, that's the one. He made it, and then he sold it over to Notch. But he makes lots of fun little puzzle games. You might have heard of one called Space Camp. And Ooh, like I TIS do. 100 and Play that too. Opus Magnum and I don't know. Infinifactory. Opus Magnum. That's what it's called. Anyway, he does a lot of programming-oriented uh, puzzle games, which are very fun. So if you're into programming at all, even a little bit, uh, it's pretty fun. If you're not into programming, but you're curious about it, hey, you could try these games. You might actually learn a little bit about programming by playing them. So they're very good puzzle games. They uh, they have a very different feel for each of them. Uh, you have games that are standalone like Space Camp, but you also have games like TIS 100. And there's a newer one called Exapunks, which is it has like online resources like magazines and manuals that you have to read if you're into that sort of thing so if you want to like in tis 100 it's like you're programming in assembly an old computer and it has the computer manual with the instructions for what you can do what the modules do and what the command the operations are so that's cool nice little touch good music for these games um so i highly recommend it if if you're not sure and you want to check one out i recommend space chem that's probably one of his biggest and easiest to get into it um, has one really good song not that the other songs aren't good just that there's really only one song but it's loops over like four minutes or something so it's fine so i would say definitely that one i think if you're more into a programming one maybe something like shenzhen io would be the best bet it's not too like heavy but it's it's enough programming that it's it's pretty good all right um i think it's fairly bold to name literally anything opum magnus uh, so opus magnum is opus actually magnum. an alchemy yeah. an alchemy game well it's 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 alchemy themed i can't really say it's alchemy but it has little uh, mechanical devices that are putting together elements and changing the elements you know as alchemy all right uh so dave what's your good things this week oh baby i got a one of the best good things so i'm actually i'm gonna do a little bit of a theme month uh, like mike used to do once um so at the time of recording it is the month of july which is the month of my birth so every week in july recordings i am going to have a good thing as somebody named dave and the first person that i'm going to mention is probably the most obvious person to mention if you've been listening to our podcast. I've thrown his name out a handful of times. Uh, never really had him him himself as a good thing, but some of his works. And I'd say he's probably the best-known non-Japanese video game composer. And I am talking, of course, about 
David Wise. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, David Wise. No, I'm actually more surprised you have never used him as a good thing. I could have sworn you have. I've had things related to him be good things, like a DKC2 remix album once. So obviously, uh, David Wise, very well known for the Donkey Kong Country series, especially Donkey Kong Country 2. And honestly, guys, I could do an entire podcast just on how awesome the soundtrack to Donkey Kong Country 2 is. So I'm actually not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to take a few minutes. I'm going to go over a couple of anecdotes and talk about the NES days of David Wise. So you you might know David Wise from Donkey Kong Country and not really anything else, but you might not have known that, just like me, David Wise has been cool since the mid-1980s. So his story actually starts out, he was working at a, a music store and he was showcasing a synthesizer for the Stamper Brothers. Now, the Stamper Brothers had been in the video game industry, and they were starting to work on the Nintendo Entertainment System, and they would soon rebrand their company as Rare. And they were looking for a musician, and so they go into this music store. I don't know if they were actually actively looking for somebody to compose music, but they went into this store, and David Wise was selling them a synthesizer, and he plays a played just a little demo on the synthesizer for him, like push a button, music plays. And they were like, hey, that's really catchy. Do you know happen to know who wrote that? And it turns out David Wise himself had actually composed and programmed the music for the demo on that synthesizer. And like that was just one of the most legendary encounters in video game music history. So, I mean, let that be a lesson to you, kids. Just Whatever you do for your job, just do it to the best of your ability. And, you know, you you could call this lucky or a chance encounter. But the fact is, if David Wise hadn't been taking his job seriously, he wouldn't have capitalized on this moment. And we would not all be benefiting from his works of art over time. So his first game was a game in 1987 called Slalom. It was a skiing game, obviously. And it's pretty good. Um, of note. Slalom was the first Nintendo Entertainment System game that was made outside of Japan. So it was the first game that uh, the Stamper Brothers put out under the name Rare. It was the first NES game made outside of Japan, and it was David Wise's first video game soundtrack. Uh, So for NES, he's also done Battletoads, Wizards, and Warriors. Those are pretty well known. He also did a couple of arcade ports like Marble Madness. He didn't write the music to Marble Madness, but he actually, uh, you know, kind of translated it into NES code. And you also got to understand, back then in those days, video game music composers didn't just write down sheet music and hand it to a composer or hand it to an orchestra or whatever. They actually had to themselves program the hardware to play the music. So when you have composers like David Wise and also Koji Kondo, Uematsu, like when they're writing music over multiple generations of consoles they're actually basically learning new programming languages each time a new console comes out so that's really impressive too so did battle war uh marble madness also a couple of lesser known games that he did um solar Jetman, nightmare on elm street who framed roger rabbit and these these are all not great games um they have kind of a bad reputation thanks to james rolf but the music in them is actually really good and the musics aren't as bad as James Rolfe puts them. Obviously, he's putting on his own show. 
Uh, he's also done a ton of different game show games. Uh, Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, Hollywood Squares, Double Dare, all David Weiss. All those little music cues you hear for the right answer and wrong answer and all that. David Weiss wrote those. Uh, and, and the Double Dare soundtrack is actually pretty good. And uh, one last NES soundtrack that he wrote that probably, looking back, had pretty big influence on me was Snake, Rattle, and Roll. Uh, now, this was like a little kind of platform game where you're a snake and you have to eat a bunch of food so that you get fat enough to step on a scale and ring a bell and open a door. It's it's kind of silly. But uh, I remember getting this game on Christmas one day and then I went and I popped it into my NES. And the first thing that pops up, it says Nintendo Presents. And being a kid, unironically, I legitimately was confused. I read this screen and I said, how did they know it was a present? They, how did they know I got this for Christmas? This, these guys are wizards. Um, but what also stuck out to me in the title screen was the music. A really great, catchy, kind of a throwback uh, tune. I won't say ripoff. It was a throwback tune. It's a really nice song uh, that I re- probably one of the earliest examples I can think of of actually turning on a game just to listen to the music. And there's actually a really cool story behind this song as well. Uh, one day, the Stamper Brothers... And Rare, I don't know if it was them exactly, but Rareware, they had to get this game out, Snake Runner. They had to get this out. And David Wise had thought he finished working on it. So he goes out to a bar and they realize, oh, we we don't have a title song. We still need a title song for this game. So they call up the bar and talk to David Wise. And he's like, I can come in and finish the games, mate, but you're going to have to pick me up. I can't drive. So he's too drunk to drive. They come to the bar, pick David Wise up, take him back to the office so that he can write the title song for Snake, Rattle, and Roll. And uh, to this day, he's uh, very personable. He's uh, involved with the remix community. I've mentioned how he's listed as not only a composer, but also a remixer on Overclocked Remix and contributed to the DKC2 remix album. And that's why I love that guy so much. Parts of the reason. I'm impressed that you know this much about him. I had no idea some of these stories. I'm not surprised at all that Dave knows this much about him. <laughs> <laughs> is is Dave actually secretly David Wise? Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm British, mate. I don't even know what he sounds like. I, I feel, I mean, I've read it's, really neat. it's really <laughs> neat that he was able to get his start that way. Um, I, I feel like there's a lot of these stories from like back in the 80s where people just happen to be, they have a good hobby. They like embrace what they enjoy. And, you know, they show it off and it just happens to be right place, right time. And it just falls into like, hey, compose this for me or do, or work for me. And it's like, cool, I'll do that. Yeah, there's there's an element of what, what people may call chance or whatever. But the fact of the matter is he had to have talent. He had to have put work into his job and been enthusiastic about the synthesizer, if nothing else. And really come on to these guys come on uh, as really friendly to these guys and someone they wanted to work with, too, you know. So it's a mix of both. All right. Uh, so my good thing this week is the Donkey Kong Country 2 soundtrack. <gasps> really? <laughs> yeah. It's huh. it's super good. Like, every song on that in that game is fantastic. Like, there are some definite standouts, uh, Aquatic Ambiance, Sticker Brush Symphony, um, but all of the music in that game is the best music. And Dave could definitely tell quite a bit more about it. I just... I really like it, and uh, Dave and I actually worked out ahead of time what he was going to be doing for his good things this month, and I kind of wanted to piggyback. So The best thing is, as a kid, I kind of hated Sticker Brush Symphony, just because 
all of the Bramble levels were just the worst levels in the game. But when you actually go back and just listen to the music and just chill out and put the music on, like I, I think I've actually mentioned I can listen to that song on a loop for half an hour or more. Oh yeah, the levels were the worst. Like straight up, the they Bramble were levels, yeah. the Bramble levels. Yeah, they were they were just ah, they were so frustrating. Mostly because the hitboxes in that game are wildly inconsistent. My friend Super Metroid wants to have a talk with you. I mean, it's not the only game with bad hitboxes, <laughs> but especially during the Bramble levels, like knowing where your character actually is and where the where the hazards actually are matters a lot, and it is not intuitive. Uh, but the music is is legit phenomenal. Uh, so, Tori, what's your good thing? This week, my good thing is an author and illustrator named Ursula Vernon. Um, you might not have heard of her. She does uh, a lot of children's books. Uh, there's a series called Dragon Breath and another one called Hamster Princess that are really popular with uh, the kids that I serve in my library. But uh, she also won the Hugo Award for her graphic novel uh, series Digger, uh, which was a webcomic when it started. And um, I really like Ursula Vernon because I actually discovered her back when she was just a freelance artist and um, was posting her pictures on the internet. And I happened upon one of her pictures one day and I noticed it had a funny caption. And so then I looked at the rest of her uh, deviant art page because this was college days and uh, all of her pictures had funny <laughs> ca captions and they were just really creative and I really liked them. And I found out she had a live journal because this was back in the day. And uh, <laughs> So uh, I, I just started regularly reading her live journal and um, found out that we have a lot in common. And it was fun. It's been fun over the years watching her become a published author because she wasn't when I started reading her journal, you know, and um, it, it just uh, every time I see her books on the shelf, I think, yeah, real people write these books, if that makes sense. And um Oh, she's also famous for um, the biting pair. That's that's one of her pictures that she painted. I, I will post us a link here. Hang on. So that became a meme. Um, you've seen that before, I'm sure. And but uh, and she also writes books for grownups under the name T. Kingfisher. Uh, some of them are scary. Um, but yeah, Ursula Vernon. That is indeed a giant pear, as in the fruit. With a mouth and teeth and a tongue and no eyes. Yeah. I mean, eyes are pretty overrated, so. It's it's most often shown with the caption, lol, what? I mean, if you've ever played video games, like, all the bosses either have no eyes, one eye, or a billion eyes. So, you know, you can take them or leave them. I mean, that was definitely a theme to the bosses of A Link to the Past. Like, <laughs> all right, we have to do 12 bosses. What do they look like? Eyeballs. <laughs> but we have to do 12 eyeballs. <laughs> How about one that's made of a bunch of eyeballs? What, so if it's a, what if it's a really big eyeball and it has a bunch of little eyeballs that it shoots at you? Oh, in Link's Awakening, there's a giant eyeball that you run into and split it into two smaller eyeballs. Okay, like, if you <laughs> saw something like this in real life, it would be absolutely disgusting. Any of these. Ew. Yeah. So speaking of absolutely disgusting, Dave, 
There's a bunch of tea in these chapters. Why don't you tell me about that? So much tea. Well, there are a lot of tea options, but I think only like two teapots actually get made, fortunately. Oh, spill the tea about the tea, please. All right. This week, we are going to go over chapters two and three of Alloy of Law, Mist Harder by Brandon Sanderson. Chapter two. Six months later, that's almost a year. Oh, thanks, Ufir. <laughs> There's some pretty bad ones. There's a couple good ones, but a lot of bad ones. I... In 2020 <laughs> time? Yeah, that is a whole year. Oh, too soon, Tori. Who is, who is stealing Wax's shipments? No. Wax is 42. Wax, wa- <laughs> Wayne visits for a time. Get wrecked, Barl. Wayne has a clockney accent. Straff Venture shows up. So Wayne is a cartoon character? Wayne is a... <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, he is. I mean... He absolutely is. Uh-huh. Yes. Anyone yeah. remember that episode of Futurama where Fry drinks 100 cups of coffee? Yes. There you go. That's him burning Bendaloy. Bender alloy, you mean. <laughs> Bender alloy. But Bender's made out of, like, 46% dogamite. It's hard to make. I guess that's an alloy, then. Huh. All right. Uh, So Wayne's a cartoon character. Uh, Wayne also. Wayne is a slider, which is probably why he's a little cheesy. That joke stinks, I know. Wow. You are full of them. Wayne is also a twin-born and can store hit points. Steris Harms. Suzanne Collins ripped off Sanderson. Pre-prenup is a survivor... (laughs) Pre-prenup, yeah. Is a survivorist even allowed to marry a follower of the path? Steris seems quite sterile. I'm surprised she's willing to marry a pathogen. Huh. That was like, I'm sorry, that was the most clever thing I wrote all week. I'm sorry, That was clever. I I appreciate (laughs) it. It's all downhill Uh, from here. (laughs) (laughs) Marassi likes tea. Wax and Wayne have an aside. A broadsheet is a mythological piece of paper that informs folks about current events. Vanishers. If aluminum is worth more than platinum, then I'm a zillionaire. I bet the vanishers are after a hemallergy. Hemallergy. Hemallergy? I forgot already. I mean, Wave Craig, Kings was just so correct long, Correct us on the pronunciation, please. Oh, I say hemallergy, <laughs> but you know me. Hemallergy. Shemp-allergy. All right. So that's chapter two in a nutshell. So it's a wax has been Lord of the Manor for six months. King of the Castle. <laughs> I just watched that episode. <laughs> it was just, you know, I was watching them in order. Um, six months later. So it, he's had a couple of steel shipments uh, on trains that have been robbed. You'll learn that he's 42 years old. And his old buddy Wayne, come from the front cover, shows up. And Wayne is a twin-born, uh, able to burn Bendeloy to create little time bubbles, which turn- makes him a cartoon character. He, I mean, just read the chapter and watch an episode of Looney Tunes, and it, it all becomes clear. <laughs> I mean, basically, yes. <laughs> oh, boy. He also tries to steal Wax's clock. So, hence the time jokes. Hey, I guess. hey, he doesn't steal. He trades. He trades. He trades, right. His idea of a trade. Wait, the hold old on. switcheroo. Hold on. I like that the takeaway from this is that Wayne is a cartoon character rather than that all of these cartoon characters are Alamancers. Well, if you check out Dave Theories, you'll actually see that I posted this week. 
the 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 home star junior is a steel inquisitor <laughs> that's because chapter... basically yes no, yo stop spoiling that's chapter three Oh, okay. Right. I'm sorry. Um, oh, no, yeah. I wrote Yakko, Wacko, and Dot or Sliders. That's what I wrote as a I theory. See that. Hmm? Okay. They're basically Looney Tunes. I mean, they take place in the same universe as Tiny Tunes and thus Looney Tunes, I think. We have like a meta theory on Steven Spielberg and Warner Brothers cartoons. Like, is Freakazoid in there somewhere? I mean, we can. Probably. Freakazoid might actually be a Mistborn. He can definitely burn pewter. We've got so many weird theories. I, <laughs> I mean, I, we already talked before that that uh, Spider-Man's essentially his spider sense is tin. That, that's that's what it's like to flare tin. Your you be have you have spider sense. Yeah, and Wolverine has tin smelling. All right, so we get to meet our other title character of the Wax and Wayne series. Wayne, are you is sure? Kind of British? I don't know. He just showed up and disappeared so fast. Uh, also, Wax is expecting a visit from uh, Lord Harms, who like physically kind of reminded me of Strathventure, but probably not related at all. Whatever, who cares? Doesn't matter. Or does it? Maybe it will. I don't know. Uh, so we are setting up a marriage between Wax and Steris Harms. And who here has watched Cheers slash Fraser? I have a long time ago. My hand is raised. Yeah, um, Lilith. That's that's it, Lilith. Mm. <laughs> yeah, okay. And funny, though, also because Wax is a descendant of Breeze, and you all remember whom I cast as Breeze, Kelsey Grammer. Hey, look at that. It yeah. just fits. I have a little bit of foresight on my part, surprisingly. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Wayne's a cartoon character. Slider... Thanks. So during this, can I make a side note real quick? Yeah. Uh, since you you pointed out the cover uh, of your book, which is also the one used for uh, on on my Twitch uh, stream for this episode, mm-hmm. I think these pictures are really well done. And when it comes time for us to do the casting time. call, th- thank you. When it's time for us to cast, I have to like record that they really do look like that. Maybe because of I have the cover, and it's like, oh, that's what they look like, but. They did a really good job at making them be people, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, what I'm saying I is I like the cover. They, real models they probably did, picture. yeah. So I have actually already cast Wax, and it was partly influenced by that uh, the cover picture. All right. Um, whatever. We'll get to that in a few weeks. So uh, Wayne shows up. He shows up as a detective, like he's investigating the crimes of the stolen rail cars. And Wax is like, what are you doing here? And then the harms show up and Wayne suddenly creates a time bubble and then puts a disguise on a la Looney Tunes. And he is suddenly like 20 years older and Wax is on. <laughs> oh, man. So during this visit, they also go over to pour some tea and they create another time bubble and have a little private conversation where Wayne informs Wax and us that the Vanishers have returned and uh, Wayne has recovered an aluminum bullet. We also learn the important fact that aluminum cannot be pushed or pulled with allomantic powers. We had we had very little aluminum back in Mistborn Era 1 because it seemed sort of like a modern metal. Yeah, and they didn't. That's true. They, I guess, even in this time, it's uh, it's rare and precious, but it also has the capacity for, you know, 
commonness as well as utility are probably playing into the fact of how expensive it is. Nope. Uh, it's side note with, about, without without modern technology, specifically um, electrical generation, like widespread electrical generation. Uh, aluminum is extraordinarily rare. Hmm. Uh, Napoleon kept a set of aluminum like plates and silverware uh, as like his fanciest. Um, with meanwhile, with widespread electricity, we have ways of processing the 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 raw ore uh, to create aluminum, and it's it's actually very very common, very cheap now. At the time, it wouldn't be; it would be rare and expensive. So you're saying it's more commonality and less utility? Well, it's, it has utility. It's just it's super common and easy to make now. What I was going to say is, 85 percent of the aluminum that is currently out there in existence and in circulation is recycled. So we're actually very good about recycling aluminum and maybe because of what aluminum like because of the things Mike mentioned it's just very easy to recycle. So when I put a sheet down to cook pizza in my oven, I could actually be using Napoleon silverware. Well, probably not that. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're getting ready to get married. Steris and Wax here and Steris says well, well, over time, they're going to start to create their relationship socially. That's right. And you got to plan out. this out, man. They have this Something whole... Just they have, and by Steris has this whole contract laid out whereby what he's allowed to do, what he's allowed to not do, how many, when he can see with his mistresses, when they're going to consummate their marriage, like every detail. It's like a 30-page document. 20-page. <laughs> It, it actually says in the chapter, it's a 20-page document. And that is their pre-prenup. Thanks, Lilith. And uh, Steris' religion is uh, that she belongs to the Church of the Survivor. And we learn that Wax's religion is that he's a Pathian, not Pathogen. That was a joke, guys. He's a Pathian. He follows the path, uh, which we get a little bit more insight to in Chapter 3. So I'll touch up on it then. And yeah, uh, Steris' cousin... Marasi, she seems cute. Um, she likes tea, apparently. That's about all we get out of her so far, but, you know. She seems cute. I just like how it's like, eh. We I mean, she has like one line in the whole chapter. Eh, eh, according to Wayne, she's That's cute. That's true. That is I, true. We, we, Wayne does get a look at her. Yeah, but do you and, believe Wayne? Should yes. you believe Wayne? Absolutely. He's not a soother. It's true. He's not. Although that's a little racist. I'm sorry. Oh, I wrote something about Suzanne Collins. That's because there was some line about mahogany or something. I don't know. In case you heard that and you were wondering if I was going to touch back up on it. I was wondering about that. Wayne said something about mahogany, I guess. Um, So they got newspapers because it's old end times. No, broadsheets. Broadsheets. They also they're big, giant newspapers. Yeah, they do use the term newspaper as well. Um, Okay, so are you are you done with chapter two then? Well, you should at least Um, mention why Wayne was there. I did. did he you? was there to tell Wax about the Vanishers, and that he found an aluminum bullet. Right. The aluminum he's trying bullet. to get Wax back in the business of crime stopping. I have some like mechanics questions and some guesses on where the whole Vanishers thing's going for. But as far as recap, that's it for Chapter 2. Okay, because I have a thing. So on this latest reread, some of the, the sort of the scenario and some of the language used struck me as being... Very Jane Austen-y. However, I hate Jane Austen. I have only read the bare minimum that I have been forced to by school. <laughs> uh, so, 
I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wanting to pass this ball off to someone else who is more familiar with her work to see if there's anything there or if I'm just imagining things. Okay, what about Jane Austen? Uh, that the scenarios and some of the language used in Chapter 2 struck me as being Austen-y, and I was wondering if that had any, any weight to it or if, or if I'm just As to the marriage up. and social stuff? I yeah. mean, I think it's just supposed to sound like 19th century. Yeah, I... I mean, if, if Jane Austen, Austen yeah, if Jane Austen is your only frame of reference, then yes, I would say it sounds Jane Austen-y, but uh, like Craig said, it's more of a historically accurate representation of that time period. Okay. So we're, we're talking like early to mid-Industrial Revolution, where people are moving away from nobility controlling everything and having a huge factor on everything to a bit bigger and better, more influential, I should say, middle class. But it's still sort of like nobility has a lot of sway at this point in time in in the 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 language usage and everything. Yeah, and um, so I I love Jane Austen, and I'm offended that you don't. No, not really. Um, Jane Austen is not for everybody. Um, the thing I really like about Austen's novels is how she would go into detail about the everyday lives of the people at the time. Uh, so in, in modern days, it would be very much a fluffy paperback novel of, you know, similar to Nora Roberts, only without all the smut. And uh, it, b because she included all of these details in her books and her books are so relatable, we still know what it was like to live as a person it, at that time. Am I making sense? Yes. And it, it's not just Jane Austen. There's a, a lot of other authors from the time period who did that that are, uh, you can still read their books. Uh, they're not as well regarded as Jane Austen. Um, there's one called North and South by Elizabeth Gaskell that I really like. Um, and there's an excellent BBC adaptation of that one uh, with Richard Armitage as the male lead. And he is adorable and I love him. Um, but that one, um, because it takes place in very much the uh, the industrial, the rise of the industrial era, um, it, I would say is very comparable to this Mistborn setting. All right. Uh, so, Dave, I believe up next is the broadsheet. Did you read it all or did you just sort of skim over it and move on? I, I read the broadsheet. I read all the little sections there. Um, Wait, real quick. The broadsheets are some of my favorite parts though they're so they're so good it's so much flavor packed into one page yep you get uh you get like news stories of what's going on uh you get the the big headline is about you know the thing that wax is actually looking into you get some other stuff of like labor disputes you get like an ongoing travelogue from a gentleman adventurer like it's so good how do you get flavor on a piece of paper is that like candy dots <laughs> no, it's it's wallpaper and, for children's nurseries that's been flavored. And the snozzberries taste like snozzberries. <laughs> anyway, continue. That was to you, Dave. Oh, um, well, candy dots are just basically sugar. No, drop tell on them about the broadsheet. Oh, the broadsheet. Uh, yeah, so we get a little bit of info. Like the, like Mike said, the main headline is the vanishers and the train robberies and all that. Uh, we also get a little bit about someone was exploring the pits of Karen where the Colossus live or something. Elantra? Elantria? Elantania. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's where the Colossus live. So I was thinking Elantra, so I'm like, wait a minute, that's not right. Yeah, man, it was Hoyd. 
Uh, wait, what if Hoyt wrote the broad? Did Hoyt then Hoyt write the broadsheets? No, Hoyt Ray did Ho. not write the broadsheets. No, no, no. Hey, hey, hey don't spoil. It's Rafe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, chapter three. Let's just go down to bullet points. <laughs> Hang on a second. Well, I can't wait. Hello. All right, chap- hey, uh, chapter three. House Techiel is probably behind the attack so they can sell breaknot train cars, which is something I learned from the broadsheets, right? Uh, words of founding. Brandon Sanderson is a registered trademark of Dragonsteel Entertainment, LLC. <laughs> uh, I guess. Oh, you know what? We were talking about the front cover, right? And I was like, I, I wanted to know, like, where did this front cover image uh, come from? So I was looking at the title page and the acknowledgments. Well, not the acknowledgments, the legal stuff on the back of the cover page. Tori, what's that called? The info page. But anyway, I did not find out where the the cover cover of image came from, but I did find out that Brandon Sanderson is a registered trademark of Dragon Steel Entertainment LLC. Uh, okay, Wax is better at... <laughs> Hang on, hang on. I got disconnected for a minute there. What were you saying about the front cover? What's the thing? What's the what do you call the page behind the title page that has all of the copyright stuff? The copyright page. <laughs> okay, it's that simple. All right. So anyway, on the copyright page, we learned that Brandon Sanderson, etc. All right, Wax is better at desking than Vin, which is surprising because he can't burn pewter. Yeah. The fact that Wax how's he, how's he going to move all those pages around if he can't burn pewter? <laughs> the fact he's that he's really strong is he a secret Mistborn? Like, is that the reason he's able to use a desk? I don't get this. So inconsistent, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! In case anybody hasn't listened to uh, Will of Ascension, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, why are you on Mistborn Era Two if you haven't read the 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 original trilogy? Come on. All right. But Tensoon makes a joke about Vin not using her desk because she's like she's like a street punk. She's not used to using furniture and stuff, so she has all the papers spread out on her floor. And Tensoon's like, I do believe that you can use a desk, and if the paper papers prove too heavy to move, you could always burn pewter to move them. But Wax doesn't use the floor. He uses a desk. All right. Uh, Tekiel was robbed, eh? Sounds suspicious. Could one even stay in a speed bubble on a moving train? What about a rotating planet? Is the speed bubble centered on the person creating it, or does it remain in the place where it was created? Tillame asks so many questions about Wax's tea that it feels like a Squaresoft RPG. Is Preservation's Wings the new... Ah, forget it. Uh, the Vanisher... <laughs> <laughs> I tried to get all the laughs out before we started, but oh man. Preservation's wings, it's another interjection that Wax uses here. Alright, next point. The Vanishers trade wool for ore, but I thought we were playing Ticket to Ride. And <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> when I wrote that down, I couldn't help but write down You shanked my Jenga ship. We're playing Connect Four. So I had to look up that Homestar cartoon, which, by the way, sometimes is why it, it actually takes me a while to read the books because I get <laughs> you're busy looking at Homestar. Internet rabbit holes. <laughs> so yeah, that line is from a Homestar cartoon called "Where's the Cheat," and uh, and in the beginning of that cartoon, Homestar makes a sandwich and he makes like a little face out of it, but it has spikes in the eyes, and it, I, I wonder if he actually was making like. A, a steel inquisitor shaped sandwich 
and marzipan closet home star jr i got fleeced all right moving on vin warch you know it comes right before says april (laughs) (laughs) i think that's good all right so mike i believe you said that uh roshar wait where are we on cell no scadriel You said that Scadriel was closest to Earth in climate and seasons and all that, that, right? That was me who said that. And yeah, okay. It's the Earth analog in his fantasy series. They they probably have a twelve month calendar, give or take, I would guess. Okay. Correct. Um and we know that one of the months is called Vin March. Would it be an eight month calendar? I don't know. Because they do everything in eights. They should do it in sixteens, but they do it in eights. There's octants in the city. That's true. There, there is the oct. Yeah, but they Look, can. I don't. They can all I know is that a year on schedule is months. is roughly an Earth year. So like if he's roughly an Earth year. If say they were, hey, if we all talk at the same time, no one can understand anything any of us says. Welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Anyway, I think I would like to take a guess at what what the twelve months are called. If you all would like to hear it, I would. Okay. <laughs> so we have Vin Warch, obviously. It sounds kind of like March and it's named after Vin. So let's go from the top. Hamuary, Club Brewery, <laughs> Vin Warch, yeah. Says April, Marche, Daxoon, Killai, August, September, Spooktober, <laughs> Ten November, Breezember. Spooktober is my favorite though. I think <laughs> it's actually called that sometimes. <laughs> Really, I thought I pegged you for an August guy. Oh, Fel Knight says you missed ten June. Ten June. Ten June. Ah, uh, yeah, I had ten November. Yeah, I like ten June. Ten June's good. I uh, my actually actually my favorite is September. September was really good. All <laughs> uh, right. Anyway, uh, oh, also, Ooh, spooky. Vin March sounds kind of like March, and the train was robbed on Vin March 14th. So if that's like their 314 and they stole wool, then the Vanisher's got to be after Shepherd's Pie. Wah, nope. wah. Can't fault oh. that logic. <laughs> um, and we actually learned that Vin March 14th is early summer. But that their year could just be offset a little bit. It could still be the third month, right? I mean, it'll be summer. Our year used to begin in April back in the past until they like moved it over to January. Sure. Um, that's why Chinese New Year's in, on February 1st. Sure. No, but yes. <laughs> when is Chinese New Year? It's the first full moon after the winter solstice, I want to say. Or is oh. it the new moon? It's connected to the cycles of the moon. And it's sometime after the solstice. So it's going to be either in late January or early February. Um, so as far as the book goes, Vinwarch 14th is early summer, and that's when the first train robbery was. And remember, they were robbing a, a train owned by the Tekiel House. And the Tekiel House was claiming that they were shipping wool, but Wax suspects that they were actually shipping aluminum. Unless he's British, then he would be shipping aluminum. So you crack. I have a question for you, Dave. Do go on. Do you remember who Techiels? Who the Techiels are? Um, I want to say that's one of Ellen's little friends from like his little trio. Like yes, like uh, Yash Yastis. Uh, Oh wait, is he really the Yestiel? No, that's a different planet. 
Yes, yeast. <laughs> Mike, am I allowed to, yes, to say anything? Yes, or yeah, no? go ahead. Um, Tekiel uh, happened to be in in the Final Empire, so the first book uh, happened to be Lord Prelane of the Steel Ministry, who, if you recall, is Vin's dad. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, clearly the Tekiels aren't through her, but you know, he's he's a busy man. You know, he's doing stuff. <laughs> Uh, but he's not allowed to procreate with the ska. Ska, yep. I do also want to, while it's on my mind, I'm getting a lot of Legend of Korra vibes here, where you get like common names passed down through generations. I think probably more time has passed between Mistborn Era 1 and Mistborn Era 2 than has passed between Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, but it's like, it's kind of similar, actually. Uh, like, they've got I think, well, Legend of Korra is more like 1920s, I think, um, because the cars are a lot more common and they've got like gangs and bootleggers and stuff. So I think I think Korra is more like 1920s, but it's similar, like not that far apart from 1880s, 1890s. And it's magic. And, you know, you're passing down all the names, from, the familiar names like. Uh, but yeah, Legend of Korra is only one generation after Last Airbender is the thing. Counterpoint. The whole world ended, and <laughs> the survivors <laughs> had to name stuff. Sure. The survivor? You mean Kelsier named everything? Sure did. Yep. Absolutely. You get a freebie for that. And he's all like, Dave. I hated the nobles, but I'm going to name stuff after the nobles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it sounds like Kelsier. That's so a we're, thing do, we're right? naming all this stuff, right? And I talked about the months. Um, all the, but we, the, the guy, the master of house Techiel, his name is Augustine. Speaking of naming things and months and such, who is Augustine Techiel actually named after? Like, there's no Caesar Augustus, right? For all you know, maybe maybe Caesar's <laughs> a world hopper. So what know. you're saying is anime is real life. Yeah. <laughs> I think Wait, you shouldn't think too hard. So when are you going to play Undertale? For crying out loud, dude. Oh my goodness. The fact that a name like Wayne also exists. Like, where does Wayne come from? It's the opposite of Wax. It's true. It's named after Wayne's world. Clearly. <laughs> Mike Myers is also a cartoon character. The end. <laughs> All right, let's keep going with chapter three. All right. Uh, so then uh, we also learn that in this world, they have tinfoil hats that actually work and do what they're supposed to, right? <laughs> All right. This is, this is something that I have believed deep in my heart since I first read this book. Uh, so the original Mistborn trilogy, incredible epic story, one, one of the best, just, like, single stories I've ever read. The ending is perfect. Can be considered the extremely elaborate setup to a joke where the punchline is in this book, and it is that <laughs> aluminum foil hats are a legit thing that people wear. And they work. <laughs> uh, I mean, you had the world build to get there, right? Like, you can't just, you can't just reach the conclusion. You gotta we, build up to it. And we call them tinfoil hats, and that's... The technical term for it, even though they're really aluminum, right? Not tin, but right. it's probably a dumb American thing. Because um, I think abroad they actually call them aluminum hats. Uh, anyway, so aluminum can not only not be steel-pushed and iron-pulled, but it also blocks soothers and rioters from affecting your brain if you cover your brain with aluminum. Yep, it's legit. Uh, so then, At least that's what they think. 
Wax goes to say his daily prayers as a follower of the path, and he puts on this earring. And I'm wondering, is this Pathian earring hemallergically charged? Because he seems to be hearing from Harmony, Akasazed, during his prayers. So he could actually, Harmony could actually be speaking to him through a hemallergic process similar to Ruin. Or he's imagining it. Right, it's one or the other. (laughs) <laughs> That's my point. So you get two choices here. <laughs> uh, or earring and, is just an earring. Hmm. And uh, so then Wax, after studying the broadsheets and spending all night up till 2.30 in the morning, I think, trying to figure out what's going on with all these train robberies and such and all the conspiracies and whatnot, trying to solve the mystery, be the detective he wants to be. At the end of the day, he says, well, my butler's right. I need to worry about my house. It's not like the Vanishers are physically harming anybody. Right. What did the butler say? Because I think this is actually a really good little little short story in here. Uh, then I'll let you tell it since you like it so much. All right. So the butler comes in. It's like 2 a.m. Wax is still up dealing with, you know, being Bruce Wax. Uh, and he tells a story about the previous Lord Ladrian. Uh, who loved going to the horse races and gambling, and apparently he was really good at it, uh, so much so that he inevitably came back with more money than he left with, uh, while also mismanaging the the house's expenses and estates uh, and losing a large fortune while earning a small one. The so end. don't let your hobbies consume your family responsibilities. Yeah, basically. Okay. Um so that's it for chapter three. I do have some general like mechanics and questions and stuff that we can go over and what I think is going on here. But uh, we can cover chapter three first in case I missed anything. Uh, I don't nah, think I have anything for chapter three. Okay. Uh, so first off, a mechanics question. We have uh, Wayne. He can burn Bendeloy and he creates a little time bubble. So I wrote in my bullet points and I'm a little curious here. Is the bubble centered on where he creates it, or does it stay centered on him, where he is? Uh, It stays centered on where he creates it. So, like, he can go to the edge of the bubble after he puts it up. Yeah, he makes it around him, but then it's static. So, the planet doesn't rotate while the bubble's up. Or it's pinned to the planet. It's pinned to the planet. I'll accept that. So they also said maybe we could be using, maybe the train robbers were using these bubbles. If it's pinned to the planet, it seems, doesn't seem likely they'd be able to use it on a moving train. Well, they stopped the train first. That's, that's explained. They stopped the train and then perhaps some theorists say they are creating time bubbles. Okay. All right. That's fine. The the first train robbery was a, like they felled a tree and threw it over the track to stop the train, and then from the second one on, they made a phantom train appear that looked like it was coming the wrong way down the track, so the the engineers on the train like threw the brakes on, because you don't want to run a train into a train. That's bad. So they must burn titanium tumatum because that summons phantom trains to do your grocery shopping. <laughs> Is that what that metal does? Oh, also, real quick, I just... I meant to bring this up, but um, Wayne, he stores hit points uh, through Farukami. That's gold, right? Yeah. Okay, He's he Farukamizes gold. Okay, I just wanted to double check. So basically, he's right, a little bit notes. sick all the time and then can get better from stuff in a short time. But the way I figure, any kind of ferrochemical power 
is just OP if you can burn Vendaloy. Because you can spend time in that bubble charging your metal mines and not really have it affect you in the real world. Well, but at the same time, you will age while you're in the bubble, I assume. So Wax uh, is actually younger than Wayne, but I think time Wayne spends in speed bubbles, he might actually be effectively older than Wax. What you're saying is Wayne has spent 12 years within a bubble? Why don't we revisit that in a few weeks once you've had some more chapters? Okay, that's fair. And chapter two, I was wondering what happens if you're inside of a time bubble and like stick your hand out? Like, does the blood stop circulating beyond that point? But then in chapter three, we learn that if you're in a time bubble, you can't get out. Uh, is that correct? I don't know that we see anyone try. Well, that's the that's the thought that Wax gave a, gives us in chapter three. And speaking of which, we've read an intro and three chapters so far, and I've only had one viewpoint character. So I'm a little surprised that, I mean, even if it, it wasn't going to be Wayne, that we haven't gotten any other viewpoint other than Wax this far into the book. And we're not far, but by this point, I think we we would have heard, you know, between Vin and Kelsier or Shallan and Dallin or... Uh, bridge guy, Kaladin. Bridge guy. You know, Sylphrena's pal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sylphrena's the best character in all of Cosmere because she's friends with Nightblood. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, is Nightblood actually the best character then? I mean, like... And, and you're cool by association? I feel... I think my favorite thing about Warbreaker was actually just Nightblood. <laughs> um, Sylphrena's pretty great. She's not Navi. Don't you dare. Um, but I think Nightblood's still cooler. Nightblood's my favorite Cosmere character so far. Uh, Wayne is Wayne definitely has potential. I can see this. Uh, I, so theory moving forward, uh, we're learning about how the Vanishers first crime was to steal a shipment of aluminum or so wax presumes. And thus they can use that aluminum to facilitate their further crimes where they started kidnapping Alamancers. And that just screams hemorrhagia to me. Like, they're kidnapping these people or kidnapping these women to spike them and steal their powers. Like, that's that's my theory. That's why these guys are doing what they do. And that's just a theory. And uh, if, if I have one, this is my final thought. So you have my theories. And now what do I want to see out of this book? Uh, I think what I'd like to see more than anything out of this book is that we get to have the characters over a period of time constantly making fun of Zane. <laughs> I don't think anyone knows that Zane existed. That's the best part. Wait, he should be like like he should be like the butt of the joke of history. Like that's what I want. That's He's that's what Mishmore should be. Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think the current characters know about him. Outhouses and toilets are called Zanes. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sorry for anyone actually named Zane in real life, but see Mistborn Era 1, book 2. And also Robin Hood Men in Tights. Well, <laughs> yes. Because, no, I'm thinking about this now. Because Zane was interacting almost entirely with Vin alone, and the other characters didn't really know him. Was he and... even really alive? Right, no. Um. So unless Vin, like, had a long conversation with Sazed about her interactions with Zane and then Sazed put them in the the words of founding the modern characters would have no reason to know about Zane and like the only other character that really interacted with Zane was Strathventure who 
10 soon. And 10 soon, but... Well, so... go on, Mike. Go on, Mike. Straff Venture, who ended up in two pieces, along with a horse who also ended up in two pieces. Horseradish. Seizen so, was Vin's psychologist at the time. Psychiatrist, sorry. Psychiatrist. So he might know. Well, the only question then is, did he put Zane in the words of founding? What's the words of founding? Is the, it the Path Bible? Yeah, it's the, the book he left behind when he ascended to Godhead. Don't you remember there was like poof and there was a book that Spook picked up or something? Yeah, I read that like three years ago, Craig. <laughs> well, you okay. should have reread it. Uh, at the end of the third book, uh, you get, you know, the field of mere will flowers and... In the middle Mare. is is a book that says it wrote. I really wish that they had not used Vin Warch because I really wanted to use Marsh for the third month. Right? It would have it would have worked so well. All right, from our Discord, uh, I've got I've got something from Talonella Lynn Stones in you. Words of Founding, Chapter One. Zane is a dick. I mean, is that's that, really just that. that the, of... Is that the title of the chapter, or is that the whole chapter? Is that the what chapter translation in are you reading from? <laughs> I I feel like that's the full chapter. It's a short chapter. It has one bullet point. Or would it be structured more sort of like the Bible, in that there's a bunch of books that have chapter and verse? I am unfortunately the person who has to tell you that Zane is a dick. <laughs> <laughs> There is a psalm, there is a chapter in Psalms that's only two verses long, actually. All right, so uh, chapter three. Yeah, we just finished chapter three. We're done. Good night, folks. Hooray! Yeah, I'm, I'm done oh, with I Dave, we were... so... <laughs> Did you have more questions for us, Dave? Um, I do need to rework out my uh, my Alamancy Farukami chart, because what the crap is Bendeloy? That's not titanium tumatum or cesium or whatever i don't know uh and you you did kind of throw out that atium and preservationium aren't real alimantic metals barassium yeah so i need to like rework the whole chart um i kind of have uh bendeloy it has the word alloy in it so i figure it's a pushing metal and it's obviously temporal not um spatial uh, the only thing I will say is it's an alloy of cadmium. Cadmium. That word is cool. Um, so gonna... apparently when people were reading through Mistborn Era 1 and he was, they were starting to talk about alloy of law and we finally get this reveal of Bendeloy from Wayne, it was apparently people figured out that atium and its alloy, um, malatium, didn't quite fit the alimantic chart that was developed. Um, so yeah, that's what I said too. Like, and I thought it was weird in the Ars Arcanum for Mistborn Three. It lists like three quadrants of a circle, and it shows like each each of the four quadrants was like four different things. Well, three different things, right? And but in my mind, it really should just be four separate axes, right? So that you, it's either like it's physical, mental, push pull uh spatial temporal and internal external right that that's how i'm thinking it should be so i'm gonna write up like a full chart and kind of go back on atm and mel atm and see what i come up with oh man a new dave chart this is exciting so i i will say i think it's good but mike can stop me uh that apparently the god metals so atm and lorassium 
they produce different alloys with all the base 16. Well, yeah, I think with the base 16 metals and their yes, alloys. Correct. Like you can alloy the god metals with them to produce different effects. So really, if you count the god metals, there's 48 or it, it's because there's 16 uh, like real alimantic metals, right? 16 real ones and then two god metals. Or maybe they only mix with the base ones, not the alloys. So you're adding another 16 for 32. I forget. We had a discussion with this in one of the spoiler sections, and it was a while ago. But speaking I of spoiler like sections, the ultimate the ultimate number ends up being like 256. But I forget how or why we came to that conclusion. That's less than a third of the number of Pokemon, dude. <laughs> so uh, anyway, the whole point is that there were some very astute readers and theorizers before this book came out who were able to figure out that uh, Bendeloy existed and what it did. And they were just able to figure it out based on what you're maybe what you're going to do. They figured out Bendeloy in era one uh, after or may, maybe in the middle. I don't know exactly when. I just know people have figured it out. OK, but yeah, I want to see this chart and I don't want to give you more information to spoil my fun. So I think I think it's time for Dave to go away so we can go to spoiler town. Bye, Dave. Spoiler Bye. town. Bye, Dave. Thanks for watching. And Dave's gone. Play the thing. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. And go. Population us. Boy, oh boy. You want me to go? No. Um, but let me do my thing real quick. Uh, yeah. Early on, he was. Uh, you guys were talking about the cover of the book, um, and Dave had mentioned that he he has used the cover art to cast uh, to to come up with his his ideal casting for wax already. Um, and th now this is something I have noticed before: is uh, that the guy who does the cover art for Alloy of Law um, also does the covers for the Dresden Files. His name is... I knew Wax looked a lot oh. like Harry Dresden. Right. So his name is Chris McGrath. And uh, like I have noticed that Wax looks a lot like Harry. Okay. But um, so it's possible that there's a real guy walking around out there who has that face. Because uh, if you do some searching on Chris McGrath, you find that he does use models and photo shoots to base his paintings on. and. Um, so a real person at one point did stand in for all of those pictures. Now, does the real person have that face or did the artist create the face and just uses that same face for everything? I don't know. Uh, I want to lean toward that. He's got a he's got a buddy who is a favorite model, because uh, if you look at his website and, you know, I've seen some of his other illustrations on other books um, that that guy shows up a lot. OK. So there's there's a model who exists who is both Harry Dresden and Wexilium Ladrian. Huh. And I was some of the covers. I'm, lo I'm looking at the Dresden files now and I can see it. Yeah, there's um another series called Ooh, I don't remember the name of the series. I should have looked it up before I started talking. Give me a second to look it up. Okay. Uh so well, I have talking, uh, Mike. Yeah. I have I just a, want to mention that mm, <laughs> I want to mention something about the cover before we move on. I do, too. Oh, okay. Uh, so I have a small issue with the cover, which is both Wax and Wayne, who are presumably the people on the cover, are carrying guns. 
And Wayne has an anti-gun thing. Uh, I was about to say that, actually. I was going to say the same exact thing. There's one problem with the book. Wayne is carrying a gun. Why did he do that? Why does Harry Dresden wear hats on the covers? Okay. <laughs> don't know. But Wayne... Sh- Wayne because th- it looks good. <laughs> he should be holding a cane. A dueling cane. That is what Wayne holds. Okay, Why I is found- he holding this gun? Uh, the other series I was thinking of, uh, Greyfriar, uh, which is a, it's a vampire trilogy, um, young adult that I've seen on the library shelves. Very much the same model on that cover. Well, spoiler for the Dresden Files, Harry Dresden is not a vampire. At, at least they got it right that Wayne is, has a hat on because he never doesn't have a hat. Man. All right. Does anyone have anything else? Because I, I, most of my stuff was in pre-spoiler time. I do. I always have stuff. Of course you have stuff. (laughs) This is what I do. So one of the things that I wanted to quickly touch upon is, so we know that uh, Sezed wanted Wax to come back. Like he he wanted him back in uh, Ellendale for presumably to deal with the Vanishers and also to deal with this whole issue that's happening. So we know that in chapter two, that the first um, shipment of aluminum was stolen seven months ago which would be one month before chapter one correct because it was like okay yes. so we had the prologue five months later we have the party that wax is at in chapter one and then six months after that which is almost a year right so we basically have almost a year after um Leslie's death so it is sometime that means the set were planning things and says wanted wax around to do something about it before they even started executing their plan do I got it right here, or am I, like, off the ball a little bit? What I'm trying to get is, what is Sezed's plan here? He wants Wax to deal with the Vanish... Well, sorry, to deal with the set. Yes or no? Maybe. I kind of so, need the Lost Metal to make a, a firm yes or no on this. Yeah, there's a lot of weird... So, and and in these two chapters, we sort of get a touch upon where there's the thing Wax should be doing, as in, this is what people tell him he needs to do, as in, be master of his house, don't worry about fighting criminals and that sort of thing, and what he actually is doing. This gets expanded after the end of this book, where we kept getting told, oh, what the set is up to isn't a big deal. It's going to take them generations before their plan comes to fruition you need to go deal with this other issue instead like he's constantly told to go focus on something else but wax always chooses to deal with the set and whatever the heck is going on there but we're always told that's the wrong thing to do and that seems to be the sort of theme people are telling him especially the set people in the set like the isn't the the butler he's also tilliam tillame and he's, it's the same thing, like people... I don't think either of those were the correct pronunciation. They're always trying to get him to do something else. And the the the, the whole, the fact of the matter is, the set's up to no good. And, and this ties into what I want to talk about is, Dave, and I think this is intentional, he very quickly figured out that they're up the hemolurgy. I didn't. I, well, I took it at face value that Wax figured it out. Hooray, they're going to try to breed a new Mistborn. Right. It's either they're up to hemorrhagy or they're trying to breed a Mistborn. And therefore although, they need people with uh, allomancy, which is genetic. Although if they are trying to do hemorrhagy, can't Sazed, like stop that as soon as they're successful? Well, but he, he doesn't do that. That's not the way he works. But he can. He doesn't need someone else to intercede 
He just needs someone with enough spikes in them, and then he can hand puppet. Look, Sazed works in mysterious ways, and ours is not to question them. Ours is exactly to question them. No, you just have to have faith and follow the path. Well, one of the the things is Wax is like, he he asked Sazed at one point, like, why don't you do something about this? And Sazed's answer is, I did. I sent you. Which I actually like that part, but it's like that you are like say say that dealing with the situation is sending wax. That is what he does. A little nudging. Mysterious ways. Um. Oh, I did have something that I thought Dave should have picked up on, which is that his uncle and his sister died in the same accident. That we don't get any details <laughs> how, on. How convenient. Yeah, Dave. I think should have picked up on. They're both still alive. And yeah. and because they have faked their death, and we have no reason to believe that there there was anyone actually after them, they must be the bad guys. Yeah, we'll see how long it takes Dave to pick up on it, and if he actually beats Wax to it, which I believe he will. I picked up on it before Wax did. Wax was just completely oblivious when it comes to his sister. Um, but yeah, so so the set they are up to something. They are capturing noble women who have Alamancy in their lineage. Um, and it's, it seems like they're, they're, they're claiming to try to breed a mistborn, which I believe that actually, I think that is closer to what it is because they try to capture women who don't necessarily have allomantic powers themselves. So if you're going to do hemolargy, why would you pick people who don't have any allomancy? You're not going to be able to steal any abilities that way. So I think they are trying to breed a mistborn, but they might be also playing around with hemolargy at the same time. Well, they pick people that they believe are most likely to have allomantic abilities. Okay. Because not everybody is, like, open about, you know, being an allomancer. Right. I mean, maybe specifically they're targeting people who aren't obvious or who don't talk about it. So that way people can't figure out what they're up. Because apparently the words of founding has information about hemolurgy in there. It's just they, they sort of question whether that should be included or not. Yeah, there's a whole conversation about it that I don't remember the specifics of. I don't remember which book it's in, and right. uh, all of that would be relevant if I remembered any of it. Yeah, we'll, we'll worry about it later. I think in terms of this episode, I did want to mention that some of the questions Dave is is asking about how these speed bubbles were and other alimantic questions. It's very... We're going to get more information about it because we have characters who are asking the same thing. So that's pretty cool. Yes, Chris shows up in, I think, Bands of Mourning. We're going to see a broadsheet post about Chris and Naz. Like there's there's some I don't know if it's Alloy of Law or if it's in uh, Shadows of Self, but they're they're asking people to come by to talk about Alamancy and Furukami so they can get some info on how it works. Man, I, I really enjoy this whole series. I just like the whole industrial error type uh, setting, the steelpunk type thing. Miss Punk is so good. So yeah, I just wanted to mention about what Sazed is up to, what the set is up to, and Dave keeping an eye on hemallergy, and of course figuring out that the earring is probably hemallergically charged. Yep. And although I, he did talk about the faceless immortals, I could have I, I, I could have answered him. It wouldn't have done anything. Like he's already got it figured out, but I thought it was more fun not to. Yeah, he he flat out has a conversation with Sazed later, so we'll, we'll get that. All right, I think we're done for the week. Wait, wait no, wait, one more thing. I no, really think I already said we're done. Uh, go ahead. That the Pathian religion is essentially Sazed's 
his focus on religion. Like it's it's what he did. It was his main focus uh, as a um, copper mine. What's the person? Keeper. Keeper. A keeper. Like it's so neat and how he used the religions to rebuild the world. And now that's sort of like what his religion is doing. Like take take the truths because each of these religions has a little bit of truth in it. Take these truths and try to learn from it. It's so cool. I like the Pathian religion, which is also a Mormon tenet. Oh, yeah. Hmm. That uh, basically all religions have some truth, but not all of it. I mean, I said I think last week that Pathians to me are are sort of Buddhists. Um, like if I had to pick a real world religion for Pathian, it would probably be Buddhism. Just like survivorists are Christian. Yeah, I agree. That's that's pretty neat. I like it. Okay, we now, now we're done for the week. Okay. Yes, now we're done. Good night, Internet. Bye. Bye, everybody. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.